welcome to Beyond Better, a podcast that explores a simple but profound idea. We all deserve to live lives we love, and that includes our work lives too. I'm Stacey Ennis, an author and longtime location-independent entrepreneur living in Portugal with my family of four. Join me as I talk business, location independence, writing, travel, and so much more, all focused on building a life that is beyond better. Welcome. I am so excited this week to get to welcome an attorney and agent to have conversations around contracts, on copyright, on how do you actually get an agent anyway? So before I officially welcome Joe today, I'm gonna to read you his bio. Uh, Joseph Perry is a publishing attorney and literary agent at the law offices of Joseph J. Perry PC and Perry Literary Inc. respectively. As an attorney, Joseph counsels clients in the publishing industry where he drafts and negotiates various publishing agreements, gives legal reads of manuscripts, registers copyrights, and helps authors start their own publishing companies. As an agent, he represents best-selling cookbook authors, athletes, musicians, journalists, influencers, academics, and more. Joseph obtained his Juris Doctorate from St. John's University School of Law and a Master of Arts and Bachelor of Arts in English from St. Bonaventure University. He is a graduate of New York University's Summer Publishing Institute. Joe, welcome. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. And um, this is we're here today because we connected just as colleagues and we had such a rich discussion that at the end of it, I said, why don't we get on my podcast and have the same conversation basically so we can share your expertise with my audience. So I am really, really thrilled to get to dig in and we are gonna get to all of the, the expertise stuff but before we do that, I wanted to hear a little bit about how you ended up in the world that you're in, because sure. you have these degrees in English, then you got your Juris Doctorate, and you're working really mm -hmm. niche in the publishing industry. You're an mm -hmm. attorney and an agent, which I think is the mm -hmm. first, you're the first person I've ever met who's both. <laughs> um, it's, it's unique. And so I wanted to hear mm -hmm. a little bit about that, like how, what brought you to where you are today doing the work that you do? Sure. So way back in 2010, it's actually where I met my wife at the, you mentioned in my bio, the NYU Summer Publishing Institute. And uh, for any listeners that you have who are thinking of a potential publishing career, I highly, highly recommend it. It's like a quasi internship for, it's more entry level. This was right out of college, uh, but I highly, highly recommend it because it's um, like an introduction to the entire industry. So how I got started uh, was by to a panel of literary agents and there's also a publishing attorney who came to speak and at that point in time I thought I wanted to be an editor like every other person with an English degree and then I heard those two talks and thought oh that actually may be something I'd really like to do uh, so I applied to law school uh, it wasn't something that I thought I was going to do I originally wanted to be an English professor and then I found publishing so it's sort of this very circuitous route um, and then uh, in law school I tailored my my classes and my internships to the publishing industry uh, at big fives, big talent agencies. I was just so focused on that. Um, and then, but after law school, I ended up doing some work outside of publishing, but from my wife's network and my, my own network that I retained, 
um, you know, up through, you know, my first couple jobs out of law school, people contacted me to negotiate some of their publishing agreements. And, you know, one thing led to another and and told my wife, I know this is really what I wanted to do. Uh, and this was right before we had kids. I said, you know, if I'm going to start a business, you know, it's not as much risk, you know, compared to, you know, when you have kids. So I said, I think I'm going to make a go of it. And uh, I decided to start my own publishing attorney, uh, excuse me, my publishing law firm and uh, literary agency. And uh, I've been loving every minute ever since. There is a, um, a thread that I see with attorneys in that they love the written word. I, every attorney I've ever met, like their pathway started with a love of reading or love of writing. And I think people don't realize that attorneys spend a lot of time writing. Like that's actually a, a big part of the work that you do and a lot of time reading. So it does make sense. What I find really interesting is that you're also an agent. Like I, that's the part that that's really, yes. really unique and interesting to me. So speaking of these two hats that you wear, publishing attorney, literary agent, can you explain for us the difference between those two things? Yes. Yeah, so as a publishing attorney, I generally start helping people when they come to me with a potential legal issue that they have, um, whether that's through a contract or a manuscript that they're reviewing. Uh, sometimes people have come to me uh, wanting to help them start their own publishing companies, but it's mainly when there's a legal issue at hand. Um, I mean, I can technically represent you as an agent, as an attorney. I've seen other people do it, um, but they're very different roles. And I, I try to keep them separate as possible, especially for malpractice purposes. Uh, so the difference being the literary agent, it's, it's honestly, it's just more fun. <laughs> uh, you get to do the, uh, uh, the, the editorial uh, uh, side of things in terms of creating book proposals. Uh, I mainly focus on nonfiction. So although I bring my legal skills in terms of negotiating a contract, or if there's any issue, um, you know, like for instance, some of my clients have come to me to help them read their own manuscripts before they even send it to the publisher, just so they have an extra set of eyes. I'm able to, it's sort of like getting a lawyer for free in a sense as, uh, uh, when I'm your agent. Uh, but the, the fun part about it is developing your work and developing the book proposal and um, contacting, uh, uh, acquiring editors. And so it's, you know, it's, it's very different in, in some ways, but also very similar in others. Hmm. I, one thing I'm just curious about as a business owner, so just removing all mm -hmm. the discussion on like the work that you actually do, those have to be, that has to be an interesting world because on the, the attorney side, you're, you're, you're wanting those like inbound potential clients to come in. And I bet on the agent side, you are like flooded with people oh, yes. that want to work with you. <laughs> and how do you balance that as a as a mm -hmm. business owner? How do you keep those distinct and separate? How do you like sort through those inquiries? I imagine that mm -hmm. has to be a lot to navigate. It is, and I, it is. And I think I was a bit naive about it when I first started, uh, especially on the agenting side. I remember I submitted my profile to the Writer's Digest, I think like the new agent roundup. I think I got like 300 queries the next day. And I was <laughs> Does like, not oh surprise goodness. me at all. Yes. Not even like, a oh little. my goodness. Uh, so it's, it's calmed down a little bit, but uh, you know, what, I just try to find things that I truly think I, A, I like the topic. Cause I'm, again, I, I specialize in nonfiction, but that I could also sell. And, you know, there are certain, you know, things that, you know, I go through sort of, I don't want to call it a checklist, but uh, things that I need to see that I know will make it 
easier. It's not that everything that I, I touch is going to sell, but um, you know, when you see certain things, then you, you know it has a better shot at it because uh, especially with being a literary agent, you work on commission. So um, you, know, you try to be very discerning in terms of uh, you know, what clients are going to, to uh, take in. Whereas as an attorney, it's just, it's, it's a little different. You know, you want as many as possible to come in uh, compared to, it's not that I'm pushing people away, but it just can get as an agent, but it can get very um, uh, uh, burdensome uh, in terms of, you know, when you see your inbox and you're like, you have 200 emails to read. And it's just, it's, it's a lot. So, um, you know, for the audience out there, uh, if you don't hear back from an agent, it's not that they may not like your work. It's just that they're just so, uh, they have so many emails <laughs> and queries that come in all the time. They simply may just not see it. Yeah. It's just being realistic about the fact there's a human mm -hmm. on the other side that's sorting mm -hmm. through all of those mm -hmm. pitches. Yes. So, and I'm the only person too. That's the okay. thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't have an assistant or anything. So it's just me. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can only do so much. Sorry to mean to cut you off. Uh, I can only do so much, uh, during a day <laughs> for both yeah businesses. it's just realistic so mm -hmm. on that on that vein if somebody is looking for a literary agent what advice would you give them especially what we're hearing from you is that agents are and and we hear this everywhere agents are overloaded they're getting you know x number of pitches a day you may not hear back mm -hmm. from them for six months we hear all that stuff mm -hmm. but but coming from the insider's perspective, what advice would you give somebody if that is, you know, that's the desired route that they want to take? It's their dream. So I guess it would all depend on the type of book that you're you're writing. I'm just coming from a nonfiction perspective. Perhaps it is different from you know the, the fiction world. But for nonfiction, you know, a, a lot of it, and it's sad to say, but a lot of it has to do with your platform. So the things that you can do to help yourself are just continue to be known in the space that you're in. Try to, besides social media followers, really that is, it's a big component, but it's one component. Um, you know, if you have an email list, um, you know, that, that, that could be huge. Other ways of getting to your audience. They wanna make sure that you're able to market and sell your book, that you have um, a specific audience. And it's becoming more and more the norm where publishers, even some big fives are looking to their um, authors to do a lot of the publicity and the marketing. So if you love that aspect of it, um, or even if you don't, I would say learn to love it um, because you're going to have to do it. Um, so that would be um, uh, some advice in terms of platform marketing and publicity because they're all intertwined. And then it's just a matter of becoming an expert in your field, you know, sure, it helps if you go to Harvard or, you know, you have, you know, a certain degree from a certain institution or, you know, you've achieved a certain level of success. Uh, but there are so many different publishers out there um, uh, that, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it's it's impossible to do. I don't want to make it seem like, like it's this uh, incredibly difficult thing to do. It is. Uh, but it's not insurmountable. So there are a lot of different things that you can do to help yourself beforehand, um, before even bringing the um, uh, the pitch to uh, the, the agent. Um, and then when it comes to that, um, I would say, you know, keep it brief. Like I had just mentioned, you know, we're overloaded. We only, we, we can't, you know, read 50 pages at a time, or at least for my, my rule is just send me 10 pages. Cause that's uh, a lot of the times I can, I'll read the first few pages 
or read the the bio um, of the author and the topic and you know immediately if I'm the right agent for it. Um, and a lot of agents do that as well because they they say, okay, am I going to be passionate about selling this product? Because that's essentially what it is. I, I, I hate to say that, but you know, you're in the business of selling books. So, you know, if I'm not passionate about it, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to know how to sell. I'm not going to know the, the, the strengths of your project, um, uh, in terms of getting an acquiring editor, um, interested. Mm -hmm. That's such great advice. I'm, I'm curious it to the level that you're willing to share. Cause I know some of this is your own process and, and you may not want to talk through in detail. But you know, you mentioned send ten pages, and you mentioned that you you'll read the first few pages. Can you talk me through that thought process when you receive something and what you're looking for? What what is that? What is that like special sauce that that gets you mm -hmm. to reply to them and continue a conversation and maybe potentially represent them? Sure. So I think one is the subject matter, because I, again, I have to be passionate about it and really just know something about, even if I don't, if I think it's something that's very unique. Um, uh, like for instance, I just had, um, we shouldn't say I just had, the, the, the deal was done a year ago. Um, uh, but I have a book coming out uh, in March about, um, uh, by HarperCollins about NFTs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's essentially about how that is upending um, the creative culture around art and publishing and entertainment, and, you know, essentially creative society. Um, so with the, with that, I didn't really know much about it, but in the way that he explained it, um, it was just incredibly unique. It's probably the first time that that argument that he's making is being made. So um, that's an instance where I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this before, because a lot of times I get queries where okay this has been done a million times or oh this book just got published a lot of times sad to say it is just timing mm -hmm. in terms of a subject matter um even if something is very very newsworthy if they already have you know five books coming out <laughs> uh, about that topic it's going to be very hard to stand out um so i look for that uh if it's unique i look for um credentials uh, this is where the platform comes in. Where have you uh, been published before? Uh, how are you an expert in whatever you are pitching to me? And really, why should people want to pick up? I always, this question I always ask: Why do people always pick up your book compared to somebody else's? Outside of the fact if it's you know something that nobody's ever written about, um, because that's the the exception to the rule. So those are a few things that I I look at. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned um, that phrase, something that nobody's ever written about, but I wonder if I reflect this back to you and tell me if this is correct. It's not necessarily that it's like no book exists in any stratosphere that's like this one. It's that the way that you are presenting this thing or the angle that you have or your unique expertise, and there's already a demand. We know there's a demand of interest mm -hmm. in in the ecosystem of buyers. Is that a, mm -hmm. a fair reflection of, of what yes. you meant by that? Yes, definitely. It's really, even what I put in my book proposal, it's like the unique angles about it, uh, about your your book. Um, you know, because most books are, you know, there's gonna be you know, a certain amount of books already written or there's something coming up. So how have you presented it? What's your argument? Uh, what's really unique about your story? 
um, or your narrative, um, you know, whatever it may be. One more question about platform, and then I want to move into some of the contract discussion because I've sure. got all kinds of questions there. Mm -hmm. One of the top questions that I get from nonfiction authors related to platform is how many? That's the that's the people want like a quantifiable mm -hmm. target. And I feel like that is such a difficult thing to answer, right? Because mm -hmm. also to your point, it's not just how many social media followers, which I wonder if that's becoming less um, of an asset as time goes on and it becomes easier to buy mm -hmm. them and, and like get mm -hmm. those followers. But then there's also those other pieces of your platform, such as your where you graduated to your point or height, the height you've reached in your career. But are there any metrics, data points or guideposts that you could provide for people, maybe especially those who are getting started or they're kind of in the building phase to, mm -hmm. to aim for? So, you know, I won't divulge any names, but uh, I had spoken to an editor at a big five company and this is for a cookbook and I was just talking to her about this exact thing. And she said at their um, particular imprint, they're not looking at anybody who has less than 200,000 followers, mm -hmm. which seems like an insane amount. And and it, it is a lot, uh, but in some circles that actually may not be enough. Um, some big fives, I think, are looking more towards seven figures in terms of, of that, you know, because I think what, what is happening, and this is just my opinion, um, you know, social media is, is a huge way to market your book, uh, specifically, you know, Twitter and Instagram, but people are going towards TikTok, they're going towards newsletters, there's a lot of podcasts, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people are reaching you. Uh, so the more, uh, I guess what I would try to say is, if you can build up everything as best you can, that is probably more indicative of whether or not you can have a, a huge audience. Because if you could have a couple hundred thousand followers, uh, it's one social platform, but you don't really have anything else on the other. If people aren't coming to you for a book, but if, for example, if you know they're coming to your account for, I don't know, inspirational quotes or whatever it may be, but it's not really book related, it's going to be very hard, I think, to establish an audience to now say, okay, go read my book. Mm -hmm. So the more that you could um, sort of balance that with different forms of communication um, uh, to your audience, uh, I think is what a lot of publishers are now looking at and it's continuing to change, but that's just been, um, you know, my experience in terms of uh, a number. I know that was, you know, it seems like a very scary, big number. I've had uh, deals with people who barely have any followers, but it, essentially it's the type of book that you're writing. And if that publisher thinks they can get behind, is this something that they can market, that they can sell? Uh, despite the fact that you may have lower social media followers. Um, I think it, it's really just on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to generalize, but that's what it seems to me, uh, at, at least. Um, I've had clients with a ton of followers. I've had clients with very, very little followers. And it just seems, you know, to be, um, you know, what the publisher wants at a very particular moment. Um, you know, in time and, you know, just to go over how that's actually published. I mean, I think, you know, your audience needs to realize that it's by committee. So how it gets published is uh, um, really acquired is I send it to an acquiring editor who, you know, let's just say hypothetically, he or she likes the book. 
uh, and then they present it to their team. That might be at an editorial meeting, and then that might be at a um, publicity and marketing and sales meeting. It might be one meeting altogether with everybody, or it might be separate meetings. So literally everybody has to sign off on it. So that's the tough part. Um, I've been in situations where editorial likes it, but marketing and sales doesn't like it for uh, different reasons and vice versa. But I've also had many, many books where you know, it's, it's gone uh, across the finish line. So um, with that in mind, start thinking more like a marketer and, um, you know, a sales rep and, um, you know, a publicist, because that's, in my opinion, that's where a lot of books end up not getting over the finish line because of one thing or another, uh, despite if, you know, an editor loves the story or loves the topic. Uh, so uh, it's, it's difficult for authors, but um, you know, that's really the, the reality of it right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And what you're saying echoes a lot of the private conversations that I've had with, with others in the industry and what they're seeing, you know, behind closed doors. And, um, and it, this is information that's helpful when authors are trying to decide what publishing route to take, right? And deciding if they, you know, do they, of course, you're going to have to build your platform and market your book. That's, mm-hmm part of any route that you take if you want to reach a number of readers. Um, but then that that does beg that question of like, do I want to try to build a, a platform of 200K mm-hmm. plus or, you know, or, or well beyond? Or is there another route that fits my business or my goals better? Mm-hmm. So that's why I love having these conversations because information mm-hmm. is power, right? So, exactly. oh, go ahead. Were you gonna say oh, something? No. Oh, uh- uh, I was just going to mention, I have this, this is the question I have on the legal side all the time, uh, where people will come in uh, and ask me, you know, what am I best suited for traditional hybrid self publishing, and we just go through the pros and cons of them. And then that person has to make the best decision for themselves. Mm, so that makes me want to hear what the what are some <laughs> of the things that you would say to people that yes. it, it, as you're helping them think through that process? Yes. So for traditional publishing, I think the part of the what people want is, of course, the credibility that goes along with it, that you, you're a published author. And even better if it's from, you know, a huge publisher, you know, a big five, or even a bigger indie press. Uh, the I think the surprising um, aspect of a traditional publishing for a lot of authors is just how many copies they need to sell in order to break even to sort of earn out their advance before they can start earning royalties. And not only that, uh, royalties are lower and they're based on net now. They're no longer for the most most part that I've seen based on list price. So uh, the big thing is that, you know, how much money do you, do you want to make? And not only that, like, do you want, like you to, to what you just said, um, you know, do I want to go through all of that uh, to get my book published in an 18 month time, two year time? And that's just the publishing process. That's not getting an agent and going through that. So it can take a long, long time. So I just, I always mention that because if, you know, I've, I've gone uh, through conversations with clients at my law firm where they want their book out immediately. If they want it out immediately. It's probably not, you know, traditional publishing probably isn't for them. So. I look at that in terms of the, the pros and cons of traditional publishing, and then there's hybrid and self-publishing. You know, uh, I've helped people start their own hybrid publishing companies. You know, the thing to look out for, of course, is 
you know, the predatory publishers, you know, if somebody's asking you to pay $40,000 to publish their book, that, 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 that's a huge red flag. There's no reason that someone needs to do that. Um, uh, and, you know, the good thing with hybrids and really self-publishing is um, higher royalties. Uh, the con of hybrid publishing is can they actually get your book to, you know, market? Can they publicize it? Can they market it? Can they sell it? If you're looking into, <laughs> excuse me, if you're looking into, um, the hybrid uh, uh, route, how successful are their best books? You know, how many copies have they sold? Uh, are there uh, any uh, books on uh, bestseller lists? You know, uh, you know hybrid pub publishers are, you know, coming along more and more and more. Um, and I think they're improving, but I, I think these are all questions that you need to to sort of ask yourself. And then with, with self-publishing, the question becomes, do I want to do everything? Yes, I have higher royalties, but I have to market it. I have to publicize it. I have to sell it. Do I want to go through all that, or do I just want to hire somebody to to do that for me? Um, so it's it's tricky. Um, you know, I've had uh, people contact me who've made a lot of money self-publishing, like a lot. Like I'm, I'm talking like six figures, and they say, "Oh, I, you know, should I get traditionally published?" And I say to that, "Well, if your goal is..." you know, making money, I don't know if you're going to be making more. Um, uh, and the traditional space, depending on what the, the, the product is, your platform is, you know, like we just gone over, there's a ton of stuff that goes into it. Um, so, uh, you know, these are a lot of, you know, different things to, to factor in. It's, it's a difficult decision and everybody's different. Uh, but uh, I try to just be truthful um, to, to authors, uh, not to dissuade them from any other route, <coughs> excuse me, that mm -hmm. they want to go into. Uh, but that, that's essentially what the conversation is like. Yeah, those are such great considerations. And I, I you know, with the self-publishing, to your point, there is a lot to it, not to mention all the things that you said, but also uploading the file to Amazon and fulfilling it. And there's so much to that. I did want to add a little nuance to your to your comment on hybrid publishing, because I actually have a number of clients that do end up with contracts that are close to that 40K that you mentioned. Mm. But when I, I go through all of them line by line, and when you when you actually compare it to all of the services that they would have to hire individually, editing, cover design, proofreading, interior design, and then some of like, especially all of those have marketing in it, right? So it's like, there's an Amazon campaign, there's a Goodreads campaign, there's this and that. And um, and, and you know, all the ebook conversion and all of it. And then of course there's a project management fee um, depending on what your business goals are, sometimes going with more of a, a bespoke um, higher end hybrid publisher who has some of those bigger connections, they can get you in the airports, they can do all these things, can make a lot of sense. But to your point, for the everyday person who is entering this world and growing their platform and doesn't have a big budget, that is really probably an unreasonable investment to make if that's not like part of your business vision and a marketing investment that you're making. So I just wanted to add that nuance because I think like I know a lot of publishers that do offer higher end services like that that are amazing, but I've seen a lot over the years as well who promise the moon, charge the moon and deliver like, I don't know, <laughs> what's the opposite <laughs> of the moon? Dirt? Right, I, right, I don't know. Right. You know, and it's scary because it's a largely unregulated unregul industry. And so mm -hmm. anybody can go out and say, hey, I'm a publisher and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. 
and they can be gone the next, you know, the next month. So yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I totally agree. When I had mentioned that figure, I was thinking of the everyday person in my head. Uh, It all depends on, excuse me, who, who you are and what your, to your point, what your goals are. I'm just thinking of the the person who just wants their memoir out there. Totally. uh, Yes. Yeah. That's, the 40,000 is, is don't spend $40,000 if you're publishing a memoir. <laughs> that's our, exactly. that's our message today. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But in, in some instances it can be, uh, yeah, it, it can work. It's exactly what you, what you had said services, they can add up to that, uh, you know, anyway. So, um, yeah, it all depends on, um, you know, what you know, your goals are. Yes. Well, and then I said that and I'm like, actually, I know some people who've published memoirs to launch entire new (laughs) revenue streams Mm -hmm. and speaking engagements. And so it is so nuanced. Mm -hmm. So let's let's move into this other area of expertise that you have since we're on publishing, since we're talking about these different routes. And I really want to hear from you. What how does a publishing attorney come in to help an author protect themselves in the contract stage? So there would be roughly three ways, right? One would be you're working with a traditional publisher and they're offering you a deal. The second would be you're essentially hiring a hybrid publisher and you're getting your agreement from them. And then the third way that I would think about that would be hiring a self-publishing company. So Mm -hmm. that's where they, they do all that stuff that we talked about, like uploading and fulfillment and all that you're paying them, but you, it really truly is self-publishing in that you're retaining all the, the royalties and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, a lot to, to answer, but I'll take it's it. It's just high one. level and we can yes, dig in where yes, we want to. Yeah, sure. Sure. So for traditionally uh, published authors, I'd say one of the biggest provisions that you need to be aware of are the grant of rights. And a lot of times, of course, the contract is written for the publisher by the publisher. Uh, so it says that you've assigned your rights. And if you assign your rights, you effectively no longer own them. So you want to make sure that you grant an exclusive license uh, to the publisher. There are some instances where publishers will just not budge on that. And it just, you essentially have to, you know, it, it depends on the, it's, it's nuanced. It depends on the publisher. If you're, if it's for an academic press, for instance, you're likely not going to care what happens to your book outside of that. Because nine times out of 10, you're a professor um, or it's a smaller press and the revenue stream outside of actually publishing the book is probably pretty small. So in that instance, you may not care. And you, you may just want to publish with that academic press for tenure purposes, for example. So you don't care what happens to it. Um, if it's for a big five, then you know you want to make sure that you um, license. Uh, the other thing would be look at the royalty rates. Uh, make sure that they're standard. Uh, try to negotiate escalation points. Um, along with that, um, depending on who you are, or, you know, you're, um, if you're a veteran author, you know, maybe even put a bestseller clause in there, um, perhaps a clause um, that gives you a bonus for earning out your advance or hitting certain mile, certain sales milestones. And just to um, clarify, is that what you mean by escalation points? It's like different things that, that increase. Oh, yes. So, so escalation points would essentially be, it's like, um, 10%, I'm just making this up, 10% for the first 5,000 copies, then 12.5%, 5,001 copies to 10,000 copies, and then 15% for um, 15,000 copies and beyond. Okay. Uh, rather than, I'm going to pay you 
for all hardcover books. Rather, you're going to say, okay, you're going to pay me 10% up to a certain threshold level for sales. And then that increases um, the more books you sell. And you do the same thing for paperback, um, you know, as well. You can try to do that for, for audio, uh, but a lot of times it's a flat rate for um, the digital audio and then um, the physical product. Um, the other thing um, that I would uh, make sure that you know about are the representations and warranties in your contract. Um, representation is a statement of fact and a warranty is uh, a promise into the future that that um, representation will remain true. Um, a lot of the very standard in um, you know, throughout the industry, no matter the, the type of publisher, they're usually all the same, that you can enter into the agreement that your work isn't libelous, it doesn't uh, uh, violate any intellectual property laws, um, you know, things of that nature. Sometimes it's gone into very specific language that, you know, if you have a cookbook or there's a self-help book or like a how-to book that, um, you know, you're representing the information that's in there, um, in your book, excuse me, is not going to cause someone to be injured, um, for instance, or even killed. Um, I know that seems extreme, but you want to look into that. With the representations and warranties, sometimes they can get very um, general, and they'll say you you represent that you don't violate any law. That's almost impossible. So you, you, know, you try to try to get that out. Uh, and the, the the reason I bring that up is because a lot of times that's how you can get sued, you want to pay very close attention to that and the indemnification provision that um, follows that, um, uh, which essentially tr gets triggered if one of those representations of warranties um, uh, uh, gets violated. So, uh, you know, so nine out of 10 times, it's not going to be a big thing, but listen, you never know the, the book that you're, you're writing, who you're writing about. Uh, so you just want to be very, very careful. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, the other thing you want to look at um, are permissions. Um, that's a, a big, big thing in terms of copyrighted content. Publishers want to make sure that anything that is not yours outside of fair use um, is okay to use in the book. They don't want to um, you know, publish the book and then a month later, someone sues them for copyright infringement. Uh, so you want to make sure um, you know about all of it. and there are a lot of other nuances within within contracts but those are just you know, some of the main ones for traditional for hybrid publishing I would say um, at least in my experience uh, with with authors look to see uh, if you know this goes more towards the you know middle and end of the relationship but even before you get into that you want to make sure that you're okay with what they're doing to your book. And the way you could protect yourself is by um, asking for refunds at certain stages. Um, whether, you know, if they do one thing within the first month and you're just not happy with it, you say, this isn't going to work out. It's a way to get out of um, the contract. Uh, and the other thing too is to look to see, it's the same thing, look to see if the standard royalties are, are in effect and they're much higher. Um, you know, I've seen 60 to, I've seen even 90%. Um, so I usually say like 60 to 80, but in some, one instance, I saw 90%. Um, so you just want to make sure that they, uh, that they're standard. Um, I don't know if I'd say 90 is standard, but I've seen like very, very high. Um, just, again, that's just my experience. Um, I would look to see what are they doing for marketing and publicity? What's in their contract? Are they actually promising something? 
um, to their end, it probably would, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that if I were for them uh, to guarantee anything, uh, but look to see what they, they promise. And then in the negotiations, ask them these questions. Uh, you know, what's your print run? Uh, you know, if this is going to be a physical book, where does it get distributed? How does it get distributed? Um, uh, you know, is my book going to be in the bookstore? Uh, is it going to be a Barnes and Noble? Is it going to be my local bookstore? You know, a lot of these things matter to authors, and it's such a shame when they publish it and they go to the barn, their Barnes and Noble, and you know, it's it's not stocked there. Uh, so, just want to make sure that the publisher is delivering what they're they're promising, and sort of the same thing with with self-publishing, but with the the production, and I've just I just had an instance with this one of my clients where she was uh, very dismayed by this uh, self-publishing production company that she used. Um, so for that, you just want to make sure that they're doing what they promise, and that they're not giving you extra fees, uh, or should be charging you extra fees. Uh, you know, uh, after, uh, you know, you've uploaded your files, if there are any errors and things of, of that nature, um, you know, it's self-publishing, it's a little different, um, just because you are doing everything. But if you are going to a company, you just want to look up the reviews for that company to even before you go into the, the contract, but just to see who is legit and who is not. Um, because as you had mentioned earlier, it's, you know, pretty much unregulated industry. Anybody can become an agent, essentially anybody can become a publisher. So you just want to make sure that, uh, you know, you know who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And do your due diligence, right? Rather mm -hmm. than just kind of assuming mm -hmm. that it's all going to be fine. Yeah, to your point on the hybrid piece, I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a wide range of types of hybrid publishers everywhere from what I actually would consider more assisted self-publishers, but they are kind of packaging it as a hybrid where they're taking some of the royalty, but they're not doing any marketing. They're really more book producers all the way to uh, ones that will help build your website and run marketing campaigns and um, pitch your book to Barnes and Noble and, um, you know, get you spots at the airport, like I mentioned earlier. So there's such a wide range. So those questions that you suggested are are great because it will help you figure out what kind of hybrid publisher this is and also to your point read reviews reach out to past authors you can find the publisher on amazon find some of their recent books and just find that author and shoot them an email and say hey i'm thinking about publishing with this company would you be willing to share your perspective and then I always suggest that people order three books from the publisher that they're planning to work with if it's hybrid really or smart. self. So then they can actually open it. They can like, I don't know, I'm like a smeller. I smell books. I like to like <laughs> open it, move it around, like I'll hold it upside down and or open it and kind of do this and see the quality of it. I'll fill the pages. I'll look at the typeface. I'll like really, it's like a product inspection. Mm -hmm. And then I'll read at least like a chapter or so of it to check the editorial quality. Um, those mm -hmm. are the types of things that you should be doing if you're going to hire somebody to do something for you. Exactly. And uh, the other thing that I would would add to that, especially for uh, your audience who is looking for a hybrid publisher, uh, the IBPA has a list of publishers that they have sort of met it um, that uh, abide by this uh, canon of ethics, for lack of a better term. Um, that they actually just updated that um, a few months ago. Uh, so look at that list and see 
just go down the list and say, does my publisher do this? Does my publisher do that? And if they don't, then that could be a red flag. Um, you just want to make sure you're getting, you know, the most for your investment. If you're spending tens of thousands of dollars on this, you want to make sure you're getting out what you put in. Yes, that's a great resource. The Independent Book mm -hmm. Publishers Association is an excellent organization. Mm -hmm. I've been to one of their conferences in Austin and they're they're great. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to their website. Um, one thing we're, we're running out of time, but one thing we didn't dig into is more a deeper discussion on copyright. But for listeners, so you're aware, I did do a past episode where we dug really deep into copyright. So I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to that episode if you wanted more information on fair use and some of those sorts of things. And hey, maybe we'll need to have you back, Joe, so that we can have sure. a, a bigger conversation. I feel like we just scratched the surface. We could dive in yes. so much more. This was great. It was so informative. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your willingness to let our listeners, our viewers, just kind of look behind the curtain and understand from mm -hmm. an attorney and agent's point of view. And you added so much mm -hmm depth to some of the other conversations I've had in the past just related to pitching agents and really thinking about what I think was really valuable and I hope listeners take away from this is that they're hearing from a lot of people that you know a lot of people go into it and they have a dream of a big five right that's like their mm -hmm. their dream and sometimes I I I think it's important as you grow and mature to check in with those dreams and ask what is really at the heart of that and like why am I doing this and what is the reason why has this been my goal and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective because it's from a different lens than some of the other guests I've had on and I hope for somebody listening either they're like I am anchored in this dream and I'm now I have more information I'm going to go for it or they're like hey, you know, my actual goal is to impact people and I can go this other route and, and have a similar impact and it can be a little bit easier. So I really appreciate that. Um, tell, tell listeners where they can learn more about you. Also, if you have anything new and exciting going on, feel free to share mm -hmm. that with us. Sure. So um, you can go to my website. It's from my law firm, josephperrylaw.com. Uh, my agency website is perryliterary.com. So I guess something new and exciting. Uh, so I actually, I was tasked to give two legal courses uh, for the Nonfiction Authors Association, one on contracts and one on the basics of intellectual property law that should be coming out uh, in January. So you can go to Nonfiction Authors Association um, and uh, look up those courses. They're each, uh, they're, they're an hour each, I believe. Um, and uh, I just had, uh, you know, a deal yesterday for my agency. So that's always fun. Uh, you know, a, a sports book. I'm, I'm a big sports fan. So um, that, that was that was exciting. Um, uh, but for now, um, I'm really just, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, the, at least at the moment, focusing on the law firm and, um, you know, giving classes. I also give webinars all the time, um, either through organizations or conferences. I've also started just doing them myself. Um, so I'm just really right now gauging the interest um, in that just from the, the self, you know, created webinars. Uh, but I just, I love um, helping authors. I love helping them understand the industry and really how to protect themselves because I feel a lot of people just don't have the knowledge. And there isn't a reason that why you should because everyone it's told you focus on your craft, focus on your platform. Yes. But when it comes down to it, you you have the contract in front of you, or you have a manuscript, and you're like, can I write this? Can I not write this? Uh, what's good about this contract? What's not good about this contract? That's where I come in, and uh, I just love to educate people as as much as possible. 
Joe, this is great. And thank you for the reference to the NFAA too. The, the Nonfiction Authors Association is, is an amazing organization as well. I know Stephanie, the founder, very well. She's a friend of mine. So I'll be sure to link that in the show notes too. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise today, Joe. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I love, uh, again, I just love speaking to authors and I hope they can get something out of this. Oh, well, I appreciate you. And until next time. This podcast is produced by me, Stacey Ennis. Special thanks to Daniel Alexander for sound editing and Catherine Fishman for project support. These two make the show possible and I'm grateful. You can always access show notes, including any links mentioned in this episode at stacyennis.com slash podcast. And you can connect with me at stacyennis.com, on Instagram at Stacy Ennis, or on Facebook at Stacy Ennis Creative. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Here's to building lives that are beyond better.